Hello and welcome to Room Escape Divas, your podcast on everything escape rooms. And I am doing the intro again because I've asked other people to do it many times. You just said, it's a- <laughs> you're looking very pointedly at me. Would you like to say who we and have on we today? we are excited. Uh-oh. We are excited because we have Risa Puno who has created an, an escape room inspired public art installation called The Privilege of Escape. <laughs> Hello and welcome, Risa. Howdy. Hi. My name is Errol. I'm Manda. I'm Ruby. And I'm Mike. Yay, oh. and we're all here today. We are all Woo-hoo. here. That is you know, a moment of celebration for that. It Yay. is. Oh, I'm so happy. I mean, I got we got a chance to see Mike and Ruby just this past weekend. Yeah. Was it this past weekend? Yes, yes it was. Oh, they've seen way too much of us, so it's made me excited because yeah. then... Because, you know, Ruby got upset with me again. It was amazing. She hasn't been upset with me in a long time. <laughs> when did that happen? I think that's, I think that's more proximity than it is, you know. <laughs> just just like. being in, in my presence makes her upset. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> many people upset, you know. We were just that we were doing some escape rooms over the weekend, Risa. So that's why it was fun because we haven't had a chance to do... Uh, we haven't ch- had a chance to do escape rooms together in a long time. Anyway, welcome. You are based out of New York, if I understand. Yep. Yay. Yay. And you are here because we talked about this earlier when we were when we had our podcast with Brett. And he mentioned the privilege of escape, escape room that you did. And it was great because, because you know, we instantly had a contact to get a hold of you. So I'm so happy that you're on. So I, I think maybe the best thing that we can do is start off is to tell a little bit about yourself about um, and what got you started. And, and then also about what exactly this escape room is. Sure. Um, well, um, I am an interactive installation sculpture artist. And um, Whoa, which basically- wow, that sounds cool. <laughs> sorry, I'm interrupting like right you again. Out of the <laughs> game. Like, right sorry, out of the, the game. interactive... Oh, I forgot all the words. Art installation. Yeah, interactive installation and sculpture artist. Wow, so interactive that basically in- just oh. means that the art I make is um, it's meant to be touched. It's meant to be sometimes played, sometimes smelled, sometimes tasted. Hmm. Like it's, <laughs> it's meant for you to have like, yeah, to have um, like more autonomy over your experience as a visitor. And, um, and I often do public artwork. And so... Yeah, I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff I make. A lot of my work is um, sort of takes inspiration from games or familiar pastimes and like puts a twist on it, sometimes a literal twist. Like I made a playground climber like monkey bars, except mm-hmm. it was um, a Mobius strip oh, uh, called, cool. yeah, called Infinite Play. Or I did um, a nine-hole miniature golf course uh, titled The Course of Emotions, A Mini Golf Experience, mm. where each hole presented an emotional obstacle that you had to overcome. Oh, cool. um, yeah. Was we're one like, of them happiness? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it, it started with, well, it's not an obstacle. It started with worry, where the uh, it had a windmill where the blades are shaped like question marks, because when you're worried, your questions get in the way. And then worry leads to frustration, which was a par 40 maze that literally spelled the word frustration. Um, yeah, like that led oh, to insecurity, where it's like a seesaw platform where you're like physically insecure trying to putt from it. So like stuff like that's, that. Oh, so that's so cool. clever. Yeah. 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 Why, thank you. Happiness is an emotion too. Sure. It did that's, actually, that's it did actually end, it, it ended in relief. 
Oh, nice. Awesome. You know, that's awesome. Yeah, where like the the hole was like right next to the putting tee so that like, you know. Oh, that's cool. That is cute. That is, that's amazing. I, I suck at, I, I'm horrible at mini putt. So I wouldn't have done well at all. I would have just probably stopped at worry and that, that's it. I can't do it. Oh, I'm really bad too. I actually really like to build it, but I, I'm horrible. <laughs> like I think frustration, while it's a par 40, I never did it in under 72 strokes. So <laughs> yeah. Oh. That's that's kind of cool. So you've been doing this for how many years? Ooh, um, well, let's see. Well, I, I actually started undergrad in the eight-year medical program at Brown University. And so um, I just took art because I never took... Um, I never got to take art in high school. I was too busy like doubling up on math and science. And so, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I know, right? Yay. Um, and gotta love that Asian immigrant parents. Oh, yeah. Like, I was just about to say. <laughs> uh, Dr. Mom and Dr. Oh, Dad. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. And so, um, but yeah, so I, I finally took art in college, fell in love with it, of course. And so then I applied to grad school. I The only place that accepted me because my portfolio was terrible um, was NYU. And so that's I moved to New York. And so that's um, I, I got my MFA and um, and I've been making art ever since. So probably like know, 15 years, wow. I guess. So I think what we can learn from this is that if you suck at art, go to NYU. Is that what, what? we're <laughs> No, I didn't say that. The lesson is, if you got Asian parents pushing you to be a doctor, go and follow your passions like doing art. Carol, come on. Yeah, Yeah, and bring a friend when you have that conversation with them because a buffer is a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, seriously. Oh, my goodness. And, And so then you decided, or what got you into escape rooms? Oh, God. So I played just like, so I love, I love games in general. And my family and I always play mostly board games over the holidays because I always go back to um, where I grew up. I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, So we go back, I I go back there um, over Thanksgiving and then Christmas. And so we were just looking for something else to do. And so, um, yeah, we tried playing an escape room and I loved it. And, and I walked out, I literally like turned to my mom and I was like, mom, I have got to make one of these. Like the minute we walked out, because there were so many things that like I loved about it, but then there were a bunch of things that I kind of hated too. And so that to me was like the perfect thing because then I really wanted to make one Mm -hmm. that, that like, that I, I just saw there were so many things that I wanted to, to try with it. There was like so much room to play within the format and so it's something that's been rattling around in my brain for like a few years now. Because um, the thing, one of the things that I absolutely love about escape rooms is I love how real your emotions are. Like I love how you <laughs> feel this like, you do. I mean, like people pay for that. They pay oh, for no, the frustration. Oh no, I'm agreeing with you. Like yeah. there are a range of emotions when we're in right? escape room. <laughs> right. And I love how people's personalities really come out too, right? Like you've got like like the person who's like the loudmouth in charge with my family, that's usually me. And like and then there's usually somebody who's like, oh, like the cheerleader, that's my mom, being like, okay guys, we can do it. And somebody being like, Oh my god, guys, we've got seven minutes left. Oh guys, we've got five and a half minutes left. Also usually me. That's me. That's me. <laughs> yeah. Me. And then like the person who like organizes all the stuff being like, okay, we've used all these locks, like all these. 
props are over here. Nobody touch these. These are done. You know, things like that. And then those sort of like lone wolf person who just like does whatever the hell they want, no matter what. That's no matter what anybody's saying. That might be me. <laughs> or yeah, we, um, I've never played with somebody who took off their shoes. <laughs> <laughs> And in fact, the thousands of people I watched going through um, my room, I, I actually did not see a single person take off their shoes. Oh, yeah, it's not a common I, thing. I would have. I, I, like I appreciate it. that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got to you got to make yourself comfortable. You got to get in there because it's like you're you're dealing with um, it's like squeezing your brain. But it in a way that like if you when you get it, when you put it together, even as somebody who has now designed a room and I know exactly like what what the like GMs are thinking when they're watching you do it, it doesn't even matter. You still feel like a million bucks. You feel like a genius with everything like everything you solve. And and that to me was so was like such a rich format. Like the fact that like people want that frustration, they want that confusion, and then they want the like whatever the dopamine payoff mm-hmm. after after you solve it which i just thought was fantastic plus like i'm a nerd and it's like a nerd sport so <laughs> yeah. I, I was like really into that um so yeah so i had that rattling around in my head for a while i'd wanted to do it um but one of the things that i was least excited about with escape rooms were the themes mm-hmm. um mostly because it's like well one i'm not uh, like I'm not a horror genre type person. Like yeah. I'm kind of a chicken, and so um, I, so a lot of them weren't that appealing to me in that sense. And then also, I feel like in terms of like the sort of narrative and immersion, it's like you know, it's like you have to stop this mad scientist from releasing a virus that's going to infect the world. And I'm like nobody's going to tap me to save the world. Like, (laughs) I mean, somebody tap, like people talk to me if they want like a fun interactive game for like a park. Sure. Absolutely. I'm your person, but no, not to save the world. And so I was thinking about that. I was thinking about like how to relate these very real emotions more to real life experience. And, um, and at first I was thinking like goofy things like, you know, like how to escape your in-laws at Christmas. Or, or escape to- the math test. That'd be kind right, of sure. fun. Maybe we're all trying to figure out how to skip class. Oh, that sounds bad. Maybe. Bad. But for me, it would be a, a history exam. I don't like <laughs> math was like, yeah, math was my jam. History was by far. Or actually, it would be how to escape writing a history paper. Uh. <laughs> that was terrible. That would be kind of but a yeah. fun thing. You know, you'd have a teacher there, and then you had to somehow social engineer getting out of class. Anyway, sorry. Well, uh. Sure. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I just think there were so many things that are in real life. And I think a lot of my work is very centered on real life experiences. Um like I, I, this was the the privilege of escape was my first foray into sort of immersive or theater or anything like that, and so, um, so I was so that's when I was thinking about escape rooms. I, I did want to think about real life experience, and then what are the things that I want to escape, right? And then inevitably, I started going to things like uh, toxic masculinity or white supremacy. <laughs> you know, like I mean. At least I want to escape those. Like, I can't speak to other people. Um, and so it had just been rattling around in my head for a while. And um, and so Creative Time, which is the organization that produced the project, um, they're this amazing public arts organization who've, who've done these 
crazy projects. Like they did the 30 foot sugar sphinx in the Domino Sugar Factory by Kara Walker. Um, They also did Duke Riley's um, Fly by Night, which was 2000 trained carrier pigeons flying (laughs) with LED lights that were engineered for them, like over the East River, like off of a battleship. Um, They they did uh, Democracy, which was a um, political haunted house of well, a haunted house of political horrors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, they did, um, oh, they did Tribute in Light, which is the 9-11 memorial, like the two beams of light that that come up where Ground Zero was. Mm-hmm. Um, that was originally their project. And so they've done so many things and I've like wanted to work with them like forever, um, like ever since I heard about them, like maybe a decade. Um, but usually you kind of have to know someone who can recommend you. Um, and they often work with, Artists who uh, are more established, like who usually have a gallery practice and are just looking to dip their toe into making public art. And so I figured maybe one day somebody would be able to like whisper my name to someone there. Um, But then for the very first time in December, they had an open call where any New York based emerging artist could apply with their dream project, as long as it addressed a pressing social issue. And I was like, Oh, my God, this is my chance. And I was thinking nobody else would be willing to take on my like wackadoo escape room idea, except creative time. Like they're the only people who would be willing to do something like that. And so I was like, okay. So I started thinking about it and I started really like um, trying to figure out like breaking down sort of what does it mean to escape, right? Like I started thinking about being able to remove yourself from a harmful or uncomfortable situation, how that in and of itself is a privilege. And then on top of it, you get this activity, which I absolutely love, but it's like an activity that you're paying at least like $30 for usually or more to have problems added to your life just to see if you can solve them for fun. And I figure if you have like daily trauma in your life, you know, a lot of people like that don't really sign up for escape rooms. And so I was thinking that it, I was really interested in the sort of irony of doing a privileged activity about privilege, right? And and I thought that these very real emotions were um, a great way to be talking about something that that tends to make people's emotions run high. Like like the topic of privilege is is a really tricky one. It's one that people get bogged down in the language um, when they talk about it. Um, and so I really wanted to create a sort of experiential metaphor that helps people talk about the mechanics of it without getting defensive. And and I just thought, I was like, yes, escape rooms. This is the way to go. <laughs> nice. And then, or maybe before you met Brett, or how did that interaction happen? Oh, my God. So I, um, so in doing research, I was just trying to play as many rooms as I could and, um, and listen to podcasts such as Room Escape Divas. <laughs> And uh, which, by the way, like I, I did so much research and I like read, um, I read your like 13 design things. And <laughs> yes, and, and because of you, I call them hints, not clues. Um, <laughs> and I read all that. And, um, and of course, I stumbled upon um, Room Escape Artist. And, um, and so I um, reached out just randomly. Oh, because they're close um, to you, right? Kind of. Maybe. Yeah. 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 I mean, close enough. They both like uh, Lisa works. Wait, 
David works in the city. One of them works in the city. And um, and yeah, they're they're in Newark now. Um, and so, yeah, it was, I reached out to them just to be like, hey, you know, because uh, it says on their website, like, reach out to them. So I was like, okay, I'm going to reach out to them. You know? And I was like, can I maybe like buy you guys dinner and like pick your brain? Like I was really just hoping for like their feedback on like things they like about rooms or things they don't like. Um, because I think I was in particular interested in the things that people find frustrating about rooms. And, um, and so they were like, sure. And I met up with them and on top of giving me incredible feedback, um, based on the like 700 rooms they've played, mm-hmm. they also connected me with all these amazing people, um, and including Brett. You know, they they um, I think they gave an introduction for me um, because we were looking for somebody who, I mean, I'm a really analog kind of person in terms of building stuff. Um, like I build a lot of my own work, but it's um, but it. it it's not electronic at all. <laughs> In fact, Brett found out that me and electricity, hmm. Um, but yeah, and so he was um, outside of just being a tech whiz and explaining me to me the difference between like regular magnet sensors and hall sensors and RFID and the differences and what that means for cat six cable and whatnot and all that and us arguing about whether or not like wood filler versus putty versus like all the veneer different ways to cover stuff up um outside of like the actual material part of that he really helped um talk me through, I mean, there was at one point, even just like in giving hints, he was like, um, audio hints, like having like the GM, like give the hints over the PA system. Cause that's how the very first room I ever played was. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like, that's a really bad idea. And I was like, really? Why? <laughs> he was like, because your GMs will get snarky and no matter how good they are, that will come out. And I was like, really? And like things like that, that like, I just wouldn't have thought of like, he just, and on top of it, like, um, we talked a lot about like puzzle flow, like talking about, um, what are the, like, why you might intentionally bottleneck, like, what does it mean to gate certain things? And what does it mean, um, in terms of, um, God, I mean, just so many things talking through signposting and all that stuff. And, 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 um, thinking about like, okay, like even just, okay, Brett, if I am looking to do these puzzles, like, do you, how many people do you think this could realistically, realistically occupy, you know? And, um, and I feel like since I have a decent amount of experience making interactive games, um, I mean, I had a, uh, I had a decent, I could make decent hypotheses about how people would interact with it like as a game, as an object, but he brought like escape room, like specific expertise that was invaluable, like Mm -hmm. invaluable. Oh yeah. I don't doubt it. You know, the the great thing is, is that you've probably done more research than some escape room owners before they started their rooms. (laughs) I think so. Well, that's a shame (laughs) because like there are a lot of great resources out there. And I feel like, I mean, honestly, that's probably why I felt like I, I, I felt like I wanted to jump in the ring with this because, yeah, I. I played some rooms and I was like, really? 16 four-digit locks? Okay. <laughs> Great. 
I do admit, right. I do admit that I remember when your when your room was first talked about and it popped up in the Facebook enthusiast group and it was like, oh look, this is a pop up art installation. Now we haven't had a a lot of great experience with pop up art installations that try to mis- mix escape rooms. So we're all kind of jaded when that when we see that because we're snobs. We were divas. <laughs> we are divas. Yeah. But then we started to read and realize, oh wait, she has she has done research and employed people within the industry. And that's when it was like, oh, this this would probably be really good then. Because <laughs> Oh, I remember that that thread, by the way. (laughs) Oh, I remember that because... You are not a silent man about this. I don't know if I said that much myself. I think it was the other people. No, 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 not you specifically, but like the the Facebook enthusiasts. Yes, I remember that. And I I expected people to be a little salty about the social justice... um, the social justice bent to it, though there was a really funny exchange because there was somebody like talking about like, why do you have to add social justice to everything? Why does everything have to be political? But then it's like, it's somebody whose profile picture had like Captain America in it. And then somebody was like, bro, do you understand what Captain America is about? Like, do you even understand that it's about like propaganda and like all these things? And I was like, okay. I mean, I kind of stayed out of that, but like, I, I definitely, um, I expected that. What I did not expect was was exactly what you're talking about. How many people got so snarky being like, <laughs> who is this person coming in? And like, you know, because I think um, the article like, oh, this was based on this was um, commenting on the no pro article, which like um, Catherine interviewed the um, the executive director of Creative Time, right? right? Who she had only played one escape room as research mm, because right. she's yeah. she's like the executive director, like yeah. that you know, doing many many other public art projects, um, and which was fun. I was in the room with her, um, but so I think people assumed that I only played one room, mm. and so then that I think that was the thing that got people roll roll upset about it, and. I felt so, um, I don't know, on one hand, I felt like, I felt mad, because I was like, I love this format. I was like, how can these people, like, knock me before they even know anything about me, about what I do? I love games. I love escape rooms. I was like, come on. And then on top of it, it was like, it was this feeling of uh, pressure, this feeling like, <laughs> I I. I like knowing that's how people were knowing that's how people came into it. I was like, Oh crap. I was like, I don't, you know, I, I wanted to do right by this medium. Cause I felt like it has so much potential and like, I haven't gotten to play like, uh, you know, I haven't gotten to play Laura Hall's rooms or like, um, strange bird rooms or anything, you know? So like I, um, I haven't, gotten to see some of the ones that everybody talks about. Um, and so I just really wanted to do right by it. And um, so, yeah, I felt a lot of pressure. I mean, I think Brett took a lot of the heat off of me because because once everybody heard he was on board, everybody was like, oh, it's OK. It's OK. It's going to be fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like since then, Brett's been like, he's been like, no, no, like Risa really did like design the room. Like he's yeah. been so sweet. But like, but yeah, no, I mean, honestly, his his input and expertise was just fantastic. And also, he's just like a really nice person yeah. mm-hmm. and really fun. 
So, yeah. And, um, and has a lot of puzzles hidden in <laughs> oh. around his body. Many puzzles <laughs> all the time. Yeah, like, like, he, like I went to... Um, I went to him and Denise's house and because we played Five Wits together because I had never played Five Wits. And then we went back to their place and he has that whole pegboard of entanglement puzzles. Mm. And it, yeah, except he's like, I don't even like entanglement puzzles. And he's got like 50 of them or something. <laughs> wow. And I was like, well, that's a thorough collector, mm-hmm. you know? Mm. Yep. No, he is. And I, I do admit, I, I try personally to quell my divaness, and then I just fail utterly. I can't seem to stop myself. We were just at a, <laughs> uh, we were just at a. Well, Scott Nicholson did his class, and we were testing the students' rooms. And you know, I had to remind myself, okay, they're students, and they don't understand <laughs> a lot of things. They're, they're kids. kids. But then, but then <laughs> I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is what's wrong here. <laughs> just like ah. Come on, Errol, but I don't know. I don't know what it is when it comes to puzzles. Maybe you gotta because do... it's useless. Sorry, not that it's useless. Maybe it's well, because it's not important in the real world. Then I could feel that I can suddenly come out and be very critical of it as opposed to... Well, I, first of all, first of all, there is something to be said for the compliment sandwich when giving oh. constructive criticism. Yeah. <laughs> but like... But but I think, I think I totally get it because honestly, I feel like there are so many poorly done rooms and I think it's that people see those and then they think, Oh, like, well, I can do that. And so then it just is a sort of self perpetuating issue, you know? And, and I think that especially because like I said, escape rooms are something where people are paying for frustration. They're paying for confusion. So people think that bad puzzle design equals good because (laughs) then it's hard. You know, and, and I think that's it, it's something that is um, really difficult to uh, I think m- difficult for people to understand unless they've either read about or ideally played like good rooms. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I totally get it. A little tough when they're students. Yes, but- <laughs> those poor students. Although they are I didn't complain too much in one of the rooms. Sorry, did someone else talk? Was that Ruby or Mike? That was me. I was saying they are adults. They're not like children just to set the record straight these are university <laughs> students that errol was yelling at not That's like true. child I, i'm students. not crushing the souls of eight-year-olds no <laughs> bullying fair enough university students. So you, you could argue that university students might have more fragile egos at that point true Who knows? at least i did in undergrad yeah so. yeah it's a, it's a hard process learning to take the criticism and then yeah <laughs> I crush the yeah, souls that, of my children. Oh uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> and and that is your right. <laughs> like you know, their child I don't know about will come that. home with like an A, and they'll be like, "Why wasn't it an A plus?" Yeah, but that I'm not really that serious no, about. No, no, but when they're playing, oh, when they create things, oh. Oh no. yeah! Wow, you really actually critique their their artwork <laughs> and stuff, <laughs> and you know. They have this baseline of, of excellency, and, and if they don't meet that, then, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, like, my parents, who, by the way, are my biggest cheerleaders, like, they are 
so supportive and 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 now <laughs> now they are so supportive <laughs> and once they got over the heartbreak um they're great but i will say um whenever i bring like a, a new idea it's it just it, the first thing that happens to pop out of their mouths my mom First thing is a criticism. My dad is, well, you know what you could do? And so I think, I mean, honestly, I don't mind it. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like it, it made me, it made me, you know, want to succeed. I mean, they still say they're proud of me. It just comes after that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. It's like an open face sandwich. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Open face sandwich. For I sure. have this uh, t-shirt with a meme on it that basically says you can do better. So that, that's pretty much like every Asian childhood's like in a, in one sentence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Or if it were written on a yeah. map. <laughs> Even better. That's the next project. <laughs> oh boy. And so you met with Brett. I take it you just called him up, or maybe David and Lisa said, "Hey, let's get together and talk about stuff." So how how did it start after that? Yeah, well, I think so. By the time we brought Brett on, I had already had like um, like lots of meetings with Creative Time, um, like sort of curatorial meetings, figuring out um, how to handle such a tricky topic. Um, and I mean, we had lots of people. Like it, like Brett was just one of our amazing collaborators. We also had like. Um, two fantastic lighting designers, a um, fantastic um, sound designer. Um, We had a director script writer. We had actors. We had social justice consultants. Um, We had so many great people who who came on board and um, which, by the way, I'm used to working as like a one person operation. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll have like assistants who come into the studio to help me like fabricate stuff, but not like not in the uh, conceptualization and ideation stage. And so that was amazing. I mean, honestly, even just working with Creative Times genius staff, I mean, it's just to have so many bright people like to help me like talk through things, both like the logistics of stuff, but also even just, um, yeah, conceptually, like, does this make sense? Does this experience, um, does it uh, uphold the what I'm trying to? To say, like, I don't know, for example, one of the things I was thinking about, and I like, I'm a note taker, I'm a nerd. And so I have like all these like decision flow charts. It was like, should systemic change be allowable in the game? Yes or no? If it's yes, should it be mandatory or optional? If it's optional, should they work for it? Or is it something they have to sacrifice for? And if they have to sacrifice for it, what do you value in an escape room in order to sacrifice for it? Stuff like that. Um, and so um, that's I a think hard the- topic to uh, sorry, that's a hard what do you value in an escape room such that anything that regard that involves choice would be meaningful enough for them to choose one or the other? That's that's a difficult thing for escape room owners to actually figure out. Right. Well, I, it, for me, it's like I was thinking I was like, well, participation, you value participation. So is it that like somebody has to sit out for a while or is it that like is it where it's like maybe what you value is fun, you know, so instead of like doing something fun you have to like do data entry or something like that <laughs> oh, no. I was like I don't know you know because I thought about doing like a turn crank but I'm like ah, I feel like there's enough people who might find that fun um, <laughs> unless it was for a really long time or maybe it's that you give up part of the resources in the room like I, you know I don't know like there was this whole thing and then after going through all that oh and there was also like there was a possibility of like a hint something dealing with like the hints and and so um 
basically, uh, after bringing it to our social justice consultants, uh, they were like, yeah, Risa, this is kind of like savior behavior. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, God. And I was so like, I had to t- totally nix that. And, and uh, that's why the end of the script, um, the end. Oh, well, I guess. Yeah, no, I was going to. I, gonna, prob- I was going to. Yeah. yeah. So um, you designed the room and you, it ran through August and September. It um, well, it was originally slotted for um, uh, four weeks. Um, it opened July. Let's see, we opened for beta testing July eight, nine, and then we um, press preview was July seventeen, and official opening was July eighteen. And so it was originally slotted for four weeks, but then it, thanks to our Kickstarter campaign, it was extended by a week. Nice. And then uh, yeah, but then um, it was. So popular that the um, the our venue host uh, they brought it back for a second run for three weeks, so it got a total of eight weeks, which was fantastic. We had uh, over three thousand people play, which um, is, I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, it was so much more than I was ever <laughs> expecting. Um, and so yeah. yeah, so you you had that run, and so now that it's over, why don't you walk us through? what actually happens in the room. I've read the reviews, uh, so I know, mm-hmm. but for our... Yeah, I know. See, the, there's a possibility it may get remounted, so I've been, like, oh. hesitant. Oh, to, yeah, like, don't fully, spoil it fully then. Spoil. <laughs> That's okay. But, like, I don't know, because the thing is, I could just change it if it remounts, you know? Like, yeah. I could just make... I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll run you through... Well, here's the thing. It's like how I guess I could spend forever talking about this project, like forever. And so um, I guess how much detail do you want? Like, do you want me to like sort of take you through like the experience of, of, of being in it? Or is it would you like to do more like nitty gritty about like the the thought behind like the puzzles and the, the design of that kind of stuff? Or would you like to hear more like stories about the people who played? I'd like to hear stories about the people who played. I think a lot of the a lot of people that are listening when it comes to designing puzzles and probably putting props together and stuff that's that is something that they would be very familiar with, you know, mm-hmm. but you know, hearing how people reacted to the topics that you brought to them mm-hmm. and maybe even if you could bring up certain puzzles that weren't escape room puzzles that that you had to make fit because these are different these are different themes you're even touching on. Those would be interesting to hear about. Does that make sense? Sure, sure. Well, overall, my puzzles were um, not they like so. I thought that the puzzles at first, when I when I made my proposal, I thought that they would be more privilege based. Um, but I realized in thinking about it that I was like, I, people aren't going to unpack this while playing an escape room. Like, there's just too much going on. Like, it's totally crazy. Like, it's it's just about like winning. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I was like, let's just, let's make it about that. Then let's, let's tap into that. Let's, let's think about, um, what it means to succeed, what it takes to do that. Um, let's, let's, um, turn that up, like the drive for that. Right. And then think about like, what are the assumptions that we make about fairness when we enter into something, when we enter into a game. So all of the, um, puzzles were actually based on popular games, since that's a language I'm very familiar with. Um, I figured the reason why I'm interested in games is I think that they act as metaphors for larger social systems, um, like 
I mean, chess is a game of war. Monopoly used to be called the landlord's game. Um, even life used to be called the checkered game of life. And it was originally made in the 1860s by Milton Bradley to um, to teach people how to live a moral and virtuous life. And like, it had like one of the original squares on it was like suicide. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, no, no joke. Like Google this, it's crazy. And so I figured that's, that's the language we're going for. So the puzzles themselves, it wasn't, um, it, I mean, I, I like to think that we did a good job with them and, and they were definitely, one of the things I wanted to highlight was um, since I am a sculpture installation artist, they were very sculptural. They were 3D like and taking advantage because I feel like a lot of escape rooms, even though it's tactile, the puzzles still operate in sort of one plane, like a 2D plane, right? And so I wanted to take advantage of the 3D nature of the objects. Um, and so, uh, yeah, but other than that, um, it was more about the context and how we set it up. So basically the site was in um, Olympic Tower and our host was Onassis USA. Um, and so this was like Fifth Avenue, Midtown Manhattan, technically part of Rockefeller Center. So like, which was kind of perfect because escape rooms usually end up in either malls or like strip malls or like office buildings. And I feel like this is like the fanciest version of both of those. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, you walked into this crazy atrium. I mean, it, it's like, like the, the atrium is like, I don't know, like three stories high, who knows? And, um, and, in the heart of the atrium, there's this indoor waterfall. It's like kind of corporate zen. And there's this glass staircase that has like a sign that says like, Creative Time Project, The Privilege of Escape by Risa Puno. And so once you walk down these glass stairs next to this waterfall, you enter the world of the Institute. And that's how... Um, that's that's how the project began. And so um, you walk down and there's a dude sitting there in a white lab coat and he's at a reception desk in front of a wall with um, hourglasses. And you're like, hi, I'm here for the creative time project. And he's like, are you here for the one o'clock study? And you're like, the escape room? <laughs> uh, and he's like, yes, the, the one o'clock study. And you're like, oh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, the one o'clock study. So he asks you to sign a waiver and you have to fill it out with like your name, your birthday, you sign it, and then you wait. And then, um, and then once everybody's there, um, you, he starts handing out lanyards. Um, and uh, at first they all say A, right? And, and then he starts handing out ones that say B. And you realize that the person you came with has a different letter than you. Like you could only book, by the way, you could only book two tickets at a time. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so, um, so, and, and um, yeah, and so usually you and your friend were split up. And so then you went into this dark, like you went through these glass doors under the sign that said the Institute and you, you walk in and you walk into this dark place and he starts like talking to you, giving you orientation, saying things like, um, at the Institute, as you know, we are dedicated to the study of behavioral science and its application in various professional and personal situations. When you enter the room, you'll be faced with a set of exercises. Your objective is to figure out how to complete all the exercises in the room within the allotted time, which is 45 minutes. You know, things like that, like talking about like our systems analysts monitoring you. Um, so it's all within the guise of this sort of um, psychological experiment, right? And it's it's dark in there. There's these sort of spotlights uh, of light, and you hear this like sort of noise that's like this um, 
uh, uh, me and our sound designer nicknamed it uh, Spaceship HVAC <laughs> because it's just kind of like, mm-hmm. it's yes. like, yes. you know, like in the background. And so it, it feels the whole point, the emotional goal at that point was to make people feel excited, to feel unnerved, to feel like you didn't know how big this institute is and how, because you're in the basement, right? So you don't know how big it is. Um, and so then after he runs through all of um, all of the rules and things like that, um, you know, please be careful with the test equipment, yada, yada. And then he says, um, okay, um, everybody who is wearing an A tag, please proceed to the door marked A. And if you're wearing a B tag, head to the door marked B. And, um, and so they do that. And then at the sound of the bell... Um, open the door, enter the room, and your 45 minutes will begin. And so then they hear this sound thing that's like, three, two, one, and ding, ding. And then they open the door and they walk in. And it's this room that's, um, you know, it's lit. Like our lighting designers light museums and galleries. Like that's what they do. And so, I mean, it's beautifully lit. There's these black and white sculptural objects. Um, uh, Like one looks like kind of like a giant black and white Jenga tower. One looks like a black icosahedron or d20 for you D folk out there on like these like stilts and you know there's just you know there's this uh cube thing with three rotating tiers and uh sort of a giant connect four board and it's all black and white and just like in a regular escape room you have to figure out what the hell to do and so um you do it and as you unlock more and more things, it becomes more colorful, more chaotic. And a lot of it, you're like trying to match the colors and figure things out. And by the way, so since we only allow like you to book two tickets at a time, you're in there with strangers, mm-hmm. especially because you usually get split up from the person you came with. So, I mean, we're talking people of all ages and all different experience levels. Like we've got people, most of the people had never played a room before, but then we had some people who, you know, played hundreds of them. And then everything in between, there's some people who are just interested in um, like creative time and public art experiences. There's people who are looking for immersive experience. And there's some people who are looking for just a free escape room, right? And they're all stuck in this room together, trying to work together. Um, poor David actually <laughs> has like, he, he was stuck in a room full of um, muggles. And, um, <laughs> and he was trying so hard not to like steamroll people. And, you know, like, but <laughs> yeah, I, I read the New York Times review of it and and I think there was a, a line where they described somebody like just confidently taking out a puzzle and like laying it on the floor and the New York Times reviewer thinking like oh they must be an expert <laughs> the way that they were acting in the room yeah yeah absolutely like it's it's all different and there's some people who are naturals right they're naturals or there's some people who've done a lot and are just could still use more practice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so seeing that, first of all, seeing that, like seeing the dynamics of people playing within the rooms themselves was fascinating um, because I I watched almost every single game. I mean, like I, I was there, yeah, like every day except I think three of the days because I was finishing up a residency in Vermont. Um, and um, yeah, I so I watched so many people go through this game and seeing who felt um, comfortable like speaking up, who felt entitled to to be heard, or even who felt comfortable telling a, a perfect stranger, no, 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 that's wrong. Like, 
regardless of whether or not that was correct. It's like, you don't know this person. Like, you've never played this room before. Like, it, it's, it's a bold move to shut down a stranger like that, you know, without even, like, letting them try. And so seeing that was fascinating. And at first I thought it was more just um, personality Based. That's what I assumed at first. Um, but honestly, there were too many patterns for me to ignore that that data, you know, in terms of of, of the sections of people who who um, and we're not even talking like people being like jerks. We're just talking like people who who feel who you can tell that they feel like they should be listened to, like they feel like their opinion matters. Right. Um even in terms of like who uh, came up to me afterward, like there were people who would like ask our actor playing the receptionist being like, oh, is like the artist on site, you know, like, um, and, and whether, I mean, it was mostly to compliment me, right? But like one, um, no, sorry, almost 100% of the people who did that um, were male. Only one of them was not white. And I love the feedback from people. It's just, it's too bad that more people didn't feel like their opinion mattered. You know, like it's just, there's like, I, I can't make that up, you know, because I, that was not a circumstance I put at all in the game. That was something that just, those are the people who, who wanted to talk to me afterward. And so, um, so there was that, but anyway, so you go through this room and you're dealing with it. It's regular escape room. And then at the end you hear this like thing when you, when you succeed, it's this soundtrack, um, that uh, was literally a mix of the Olympic anthem meets punk, pomp and circumstance hmm. meets the price is right meets uh, fireworks and applause. And it's like, you feel like a million bucks. Like it's like, it's the usual escape room win thing, but then I guess turned up than the ones that don't have that. Cause you know, like there's times where like you solve it. Like there was this one time where I was solving a room and I was there forever. And I didn't even realize that the door had opened. <laughs> like we were just really focused wondering why this thing, cause there wasn't enough feedback. Yeah. Hello, puzzle design um, <laughs> to show that like the time we couldn't even see what our time was because it had been so long that the time went away and the GM had closed it out. Like, but we didn't know. Oh. And so, um, yeah, so there's, yeah, I know this is, this is why I, I think that, you know, you being divas is understood because there's, <laughs> there's a lot out there. Um, yeah. I mean, it's like, and so, so A, I wanted to make sure that people knew, knew that they won. And then also I wanted to, um, I wanted them to feel so excited, like, like they were geniuses. And so, um, Did the, so sorry, they come out. Interrupted. Was the game designed where the majority would win or was it a normal you may win, you may lose chance for as per normal escape rooms? Um, well, um, well, here. <laughs> oh, should I, I let you finish? That. I'm sorry. I'll let you finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like so basically you um, went into this other room afterward um, where there was a research analyst there in a lab coat and she would, you know, say congratulations for completing all the exercises. We don't call them puzzles at the Institute, by the way. They're exercises. So congratulations for completing all the exercises. Please gather your belongings. You know, um, group B is still completing their tests. In the meantime, feel free to browse the infographics in the room when they finish. 
finish. We'll proceed with the um, comparative performance analysis. And so you, you're there and you can see like a projection screen with CCTV footage of the people in the other room playing. So like the person you came with, you see them like struggling in that room. And usually we heard people say stuff like, oh my God, they're so far behind. They don't even have the balls out of the thing yet. Like, are you serious? Like, we're so much (laughs) smarter than them. Oh my God, my fiance is going to be so pissed when they find out I like got out and they didn't, you know, like stuff like that. Right. And, um, and that's mostly what you hear. And so then when the time runs out there, um, which by the way, um, so there's a, so the, the sound event in the room is that you're hearing like this ambient sort of music, but then you hear um, uh, like time things. It's like, you have 30 minutes remaining. And then you hear um, like after you, you hear, a, what do you call it? Um, a heartbeat, right? And with every time marker, 30 minutes, 15 minutes, the heartbeat increases in tempo. And then, yeah. Yeah. And then at, um, I think at one minute, you start hearing the like beep, beep uh, of like a heart monitor. And then at 30 seconds, you hear a little bit of arrhythmia. And then at 10 seconds, you hear T minus 10, nine. <laughs> Eight. And then when it gets to zero, it flatlines. Right. And um, yeah, so, so that's what they just heard, right? And so they feel terrible. They just lost and they get out and then they see group A sitting there looking so smug, like, because they're relaxed, they're there and they clearly have been sitting there for a while. And, and so they just feel like crap. And, um, and so then the research analyst just, you know, starts talking to them about like games and the history of games just to create context for like why all the exercises were were related to games and then they get into talking about their feedback uh, I mean talking about their performance right they say that they were divided based on their birthday which is an inconsequential factor that is part of your identity but beyond your control um because yeah, and it'll be the split was different every time. Like sometimes it'd be everyone in test group A was born in the first half of the year, test group B, second half of the year. Sometimes it was test group A is like everybody was born on prime numbers months, or like sometimes it was like everybody in May and everybody else, or like I mean, it, it just got real weird because the whole point was to split up people who came together. Um, but we used real birthdays and real splits. And so then she would say, so in terms of performance, oh, so while each group had the exact same exercises, the conditions varied in your room. So in terms of performance, group A finished 100% of the tasks in the room with like I don't know, like five minutes and 32 seconds remaining. Congratulations. Feel free to give yourselves a hand. Group B finished only 95% of the tasks in the room with zero minutes and zero seconds remaining. And then she passes out... Um, candy to only the winners um which by the way this is something we added in i think week two so if you played in week one you didn't nobody got candy but we realized it helped sort of the emotional goals if we did that and and also i'm a (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah so we did that and so then after that um she would say, you know, now I'd like to get some feedback on your experience of the room. So she said, let's start with test group B. And we asked, please describe the conditions in your test room. What's the first thing you noticed when you entered? And um, I guess this is where 
I mean, yeah, let's do it. Let's spoil it. Um, so yeah, so this, but if you don't want a spoiler, turn this off. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so what was the first thing you noticed when you entered? And Group B usually says like red, dark. And she's like, what was red? What made it red? And um, they say the lighting. Um, and they, she says, how did that affect your experience in the room? And they say that it makes it difficult to tell the difference between colors in the room. Like it essentially makes you like colorblind, right? And, um, and then she asked test group A, what about you? What was the lighting like in your room? And, the, you know, they... You know, they they usually go one of two ways. They either look sheepish at this point or they look, you know, they're like, it was fantastic. It was <laughs> wonderful. You know, um, it's uh, and so then um, but they they most often say like normal, regular. And so then we ask test group B, which exercise was most time consuming for you? Um, and uh, and so they describe uh, this one exercise that involves blocks and they say, um, and it's like, what made that so time consuming? And they're like, we had to drag it over to this, this one spot, this one light. And she said, well, could you tell the group more about that light? Um, how exactly did you use it? Could you describe it? And so it's a, uh, like a three by three square of full spectrum light in the room. It's like a spotlight, right? And so they basically have to drag everything over to that light to be able to tell the difference between colors. And, um, and basically... Um, so then she asked, do you think you would have been able to get as far as you did within the time limit without the spotlight? And um, they say, no, like, hell no. And so then she asked test group A, how did you handle that exercise? Did you need to use the spotlight in your room to tell the difference between the colors? And at this point, test group A usually looks really confused because they're like, wait, what? They're like, there, we had a spotlight? You know, they're like, yeah, they're like, did, was there a spotlight? Some people are like, our whole room was a spotlight. And so then she says, you know, that's not surprising. Most of the test groups, given your conditions, do not notice the spotlight because test room A was privileged with full mm-hmm. spectrum light. And that's the first time we dropped the word privilege in the whole mm-hmm. experience. So they've already been there for like, you know, including wait time, like probably close to an hour. Because um, the thing is, I think one of the things about privilege is the word itself. It makes it so people, because um, it, it feels like it's something that like, it, it, like something they need to feel bad about, that they need to say sorry for having it, right? And, and or they feel the need to, um, to say like, oh no, like I'm, how can I have privilege? Like I grew up poor, like I, that's, you know, it, and it just becomes really confusing because there's a difference between economic and social privilege. Um, I think they're really linked, like in, in, my project, I think of um, social privilege being the condition in the rooms, whereas economic privilege is the candy that you get. And so, I mean, most often, room A got the candy. So they, they are actually really linked, but they're not the same. Um, and so, so it goes back and forth, you know, talking a lot about how they felt about, um, about being intentionally assigned these conditions, right? And um, uh, one of the things is we asked Group B, like, how do you feel now that you know you were assigned to a room designed to make the test more difficult? And most of the time, people said that they felt like cheated or it was unfair or they felt validated. Like, 95 doesn't seem so bad anymore, or 80% doesn't feel so bad anymore, or whatever they got, right? Um, 
But there were still some people who were like, well, I'm glad I had it. You know, I like being in the challenging room or like I thought the red light was theatrical, which, again, understandable. It is a game. And so um, we actually added a question near the end of the first run that said, well, how would you feel if the outcome of this game had consequences in real life? For example, how would you feel if instead of receiving candy, finishing the exercises first meant getting into college, Mm. being approved for a loan or getting hired for a job? You know, and and that's when it. Um, I feel like if it didn't already get there, mm-hmm. that's when things got real. kind of like sober yeah. and and real, and it wasn't just about the game. And so I think, um, yeah. And so and so then after we talk, oh, and we ask Group A, like, how do they feel um, about being assigned to that room? And a lot of people say that they felt um, guilty or they felt less like winners. <laughs> You know, they were like, it's not really a win if the game wasn't fair, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and um, I mean, not always. There's some people who say, <laughs> like, I feel um, I feel lucky. I feel bad for them, you know, but not enough to give them my candy or not enough to like, yeah, <laughs> wow. Yeah, or, or not enough to like switch rooms with them, right? And so, but I think that that's a really honest feeling, right? And I think that's something that, I think that's where... I was hoping it would go so that people could then start having conversations after this experience about that, about like, well, what do you do when you feel like that? You know, like, and how much, how much do you actually feel bad about it? Like bad enough to be like, oh, I feel bad and then forget about it later or bad enough where you're like, you know what, maybe I should do something about it or maybe I should think about, um, maybe I should think about it. And so, um, but since a lot of it relied on what people said, and you know, you you never know with the general public, with any public, right? It's like when you leave it up to people, they can come up with all kinds of responses. So after that, there was like a monologue where she wrapped up for context. Like she said, like our findings show that on average, group A is able to complete 100% of the exercises in about 39 minutes. Approximately 85% of all group B subjects fail to complete the exercises before time runs out. Um, which, by the way, that was based on beta testing, which a lot of our beta testers were like puzzlers. So mm-hmm. actually, um, uh, I calculated near the end, instead of 15% of Group B escaping, it was more like, I think it was like 5.6%. Mm-hmm. It was much lower. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so... Um, she says that at the Institute, we believe that this mirrors everyday life in that aspects of identity shape the way we navigate the world. Group A's full spectrum light is something that most people would expect in a game presumed to be fair. However, because the other room was given the oppressive condition of red light, the regular lighting became your privilege. And privilege is often understood as something extra, like if we somehow gave a group x-ray vision. However, group A's lighting conditions made it so you performed as you normally would without any extra impediments. And since group B did have something that made it difficult for them to to detect colors group a had an unearned advantage because their birthdays matched our criteria so imagine that being born in the first half of the year would make it six times more likely to get detention as a student or what if having a birthday in late august meant that you were categorically likely to earn 79 cents to every dollar that your colleague earns and then we go in saying things like um 
During most of the tests, subjects in Group A do not initially consider themselves privileged. The, average, the adjective most frequently used by Group A to describe their test conditions is normal, and only very few subjects in Group A ever notice the spotlight in their room. Um, when they successfully complete all the tasks, they generally, report, they generally report feeling proud of their accomplishments, satisfied, and really smart. And for the purposes of this study, subjects are not initially told how their circumstances differ from one another. So some subjects in Group B do not perceive themselves as having a specific disadvantage during the test. However, the most frequently used adjectives that Group B use to describe their test conditions are red, difficult, and challenging. And so basically, it was like even when Group B had fun, they still used negative words to describe their test conditions and and even just within a game right we're not even talking real life when you actually need to like when your livelihood depends on it right and so um so basically the whole point was that um oh she because she tells group a that it's it's not that they it's not that you didn't work hard right because it was designed to be difficult and i actually designed um puzzles that were like that intentionally required I'd say more teamwork than the average escape room um, because I knew that there would be a lot of people playing in the rooms at once. Um, and, and so the whole point was that group A did work hard for it. It's just that group B had to do so much additional work just to complete the exact same tasks. And, and, and that's really the whole point of, of the project is to sort of um, – is to show how that is, you know, like rather than just telling people because people experience it. They really, they really do. And so um, we told them at the end that like uh, this completes the first phase of the Institute's research. Um, in the next phase, we'll be asking the question, if people discover that the game is unfair, will they work together to change it? I hope you'll join us, which is a sort of call to action because I wasn't able to do the, um, the sort of like, trying to enact systemic change within the game. Though I have lots of ideas about that. And honestly, I, and a lot of people actually asked about phase two. And so I, I would actually really love to give that a shot and, and do that, especially if it meant I got to invite back the people who played phase one because they have the context for it. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was fascinating. So you saw that the dynamics of privilege play out within the rooms themselves, but even within the debrief, it was like people... You know, sometimes in Group A, not often, most most of the time people got it, but sometimes in Group A, people would say things like, oh, well, you know, once you realize what the deal is with the light, like, you just can work, like, you just work harder, oh. like, you work past <laughs> it, right? And it's like, there is nothing you can do to make you be able to tell the difference between, it just all looks like gray, right. you know, like, there's nothing you can do about that, Um I mean, other than drag it over to the spotlight, though, I mean, there were so many things where it, it sort of became, um, it became even the, the, the metaphor would go even deeper, like, as in like, sometimes one of the rules was do not move the furniture, but sometimes people would try to like, people would pick up this table and drag it over to the spotlight so that they could see all the things on it, you know, and it. And our like GM would get so salty about that, you know, and, and like, and then he would like sometimes like take away their spotlight as like a punishment. And, you know, it kind of, it, it does make you think about how, how like sort of a lot of times the reflex is to criminal criminalize like people for just trying to work 
through adversity, right? Or, or people um, would ask what happens if you're colorblind and you play in Rume. And I'd say I liken that to being like a non-black person of color. Like I'm, I'm, um, my, my parents are immigrants from the Philippines. So like, I'm like, Mine are I too, have, by the way. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and like, basically, um, yeah. And so I feel like uh, while sure, like, do I have lots of stories about, I mean, I grew up in Kentucky, right? So do I have lots of stories of like comments and discrimination and stuff like that? Like, absolutely. But like, do I worry about like getting shot by the police? Like, no, you know, like, do I like worry about like, um, or even with our research analyst, um, she, um, one of the actors who played her is, um, she's black. And when I was talking to her, there was somebody who was really rude, um, during the, the debrief conversation to her. And I, I said to her after, I was like, we built a line in, in the script. If somebody's being really horrible to you, you know, maybe like look at them, right. And just like make eye contact and say, um, excuse me, uh, what's your name? And then just like write it down and then just move on to the next thing, you know, and like just sort of to disarm and whatever. And she was like, yeah, yeah. She was like, I'll keep that in mind. She was like, but she was like, to tell you the truth, she was like, um, as a black woman, especially as a dark, as a dark skinned black woman, she said that people often perceive me as more aggressive, like before I even open my mouth. And I said, I was like, wow, you know, that's, that's my bad. I, I didn't even think about that. That's my privilege. Like that was my privilege showing through, right? Cause like, I don't have to worry about that. And so I think that those are, um, those are the ways in which like that's being colorblind in, in Rume, right? Because it's like, while I might not be able to see all the colors, I still benefit from association and I still get the candy. Um, and then people are like, what happens if you're colorblind and you play in the red room? And I think if you're the same kind of colorblind, then you actually tend to do a little better, especially before the spotlight comes on, because it doesn't come on for like 10 minutes. And so like you, it sort of speaks to um, how you can be resilient from living a life of adversity, right? But if you're like a different kind of colorblind, you're just, I mean, you're just screwed, right? And that's, <laughs> right. And that speaks to intersectionality and about how different oppressions can compound. And so I think that, yeah, I mean, it can go, I mean, there was also one um, exercise that was, um, had to do with like these colored buttons, like I'm so evil. So basically there's these colorful buttons and these like verbal instructions that are like, uh, press blue, press big yellow, plus press both red, things like that. And, um, and so you have to press it. The, the buttons are labeled with oh. a color that is different than how they look. Mm. So like the blue button is labeled yellow and like the yellow button is labeled white and whatever. And so it's like a exercise in cognitive dissonance. And so sometimes people in group A ask, well, was that more difficult because I mean, sorry, was that more difficult in our room? Was it easier in the red room because you can't tell the difference between colors? And the answer is like, no, like, I'm an asshole. I asked Brett to light up the buttons. So, <laughs> you, so like, wow. right there, you can see the colors. But the, but the point is that you can use it to explain the difference between concepts. Like, so the difference between social advantage and privilege is that while the red room would have social advantage on that one exercise, um, they wouldn't have privilege because every other exercise 
is hard. And so, um, yeah. And so that's kind of what I am. Um, it kind of speaks to that's the, what I yeah, was it's like, you know, you got your one. That's, that's, the, the project that's could, be, right. could be a sort of metaphor um, that people could use to talk about stuff. Uh, I did have one question. So was there an instance where, or, or were there many instances in which, say, Group A did not finish their room? and Before Group B? Before, or, well, okay, not before Group B, because I feel like <laughs> if, if there was an instance of that, that'd be... Strange. amazing uh but if if neither group finished for instance and if so did that change the conversation at all it uh that did happen um not like i mean it happened a decent amount i mean uh, we gave unlimited um hints to both groups uh directives we called them um but you know like uh, what the the GM of the Red Room says? He says, "You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him think." <laughs> and so, you know, we gave unlimited hints, but sometimes, uh, yeah, sometimes people didn't get out in either room. But um, Group A al- almost always still completed more uh, percentage of of tasks than Group B, and so that that actually didn't really change the conversation at all. When Group B uh, finished more or got out first, that that it changed depending on what the groups understood. Um, but that happened so infrequently, like in hundreds of games, that happened maybe not even five times. So, but boy, did Group A feel bad about themselves! <laughs> oh like, yeah, even yeah, with all they... your privilege. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And, and that was actually what was really interesting because there was several of those groups kept trying to find ways to talk about how, well, you know, I mean, well, it must have been, it must have not made that much of a difference or it must have been like, you know, and, and it's weird the kinds of things that we end up saying to protect our privilege, right? Um, it, almost as like a self-preservation reflex. And so I guess it's like, um, I guess I'm hoping that maybe people... Um, think about the ways in which they do that um, without even realizing it. Um, because it, it's a lot easier when you have someone that you care about who had to go through the other experience so you can, like, who can tell you about it. Like, um, some people are like, oh, it'd be really great if people could play both rooms, you know? And I'm like, well, first of all, like, I, they're the exact same exercises, so... I don't really know how you do that. Also, it would mean like half as many people could play this thing within these eight weeks. But then also, I actually really liked that you had to rely on listening to other people talk about their experience and believe them in order to understand it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it required communication even between the two rooms. And so, um, yeah, I think that that was uh, that just... The response to this project was overwhelming. Like, I honestly, I was terrified. First of all, I was terrified that I would design, like, a horrible room. But thank goodness <laughs> Brett, like, Brett had um, had my back. And, and, like, I mean, we our budget was tight. I mean, it was a huge production. Um, but, like, I mean, our timeline was insane. Like, we, I found out that I was the artist that they chose in March, yeah, and so we opened for beta testing early July, which, especially for your very first room ever, um, and it was essentially two rooms with actors, it was, uh, that was, 
Yeah, that was crazy. And so luckily Brett, Brett, uh, had had my back on that, but like I was scared with a project like this that it was either going to be so heavy-handed that it was like hitting people over the head that it you know I didn't want people to feel like they, it was being crammed down their throats right like I wanted to leave room for them to draw their own conclusions and and for them to make their own connections, but at the same time I didn't want it to be so subtle where it didn't say anything mm-hmm. or or where it was too complex where it was just confusing because there were things I wanted to get into. I wanted to get into the the difference between social advantage and privilege. I wanted to get into intersectionality. I wanted to talk about systemic change, but you know, it's, it's hard, you know, cause there was really only 15, 20 minutes in the debrief. And so I, I will say that it does, <laughs> I'm kind of amused that it does kind of speak to how scary those enthusiast expectations are that you were more worried about the design of the room before the <laughs> before the subject matter <laughs> of privilege in our society <laughs> you know it's it's, uh, it's really interesting listening to you talk about the design of the room because coming from your artist background and dealing with things like emotion i like how you tried to evoke certain emotions throughout your room and like bring up you know this is going to be the experiment experiential moment and you want you map that out you know whether it be at the end with the triumphant songs at the beginning or giving them hope or you know giving them an, a, a sense that something's bigger there and that's and that's also great to hear because again i don't think designers out there beginning room designers or game designers for that matter think about like what the player experience other than like there's puzzles solve them yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think with my work in general, the place I always start is what experience do I want to give people? How do I want them to feel? Um, and so I think that that and that's um, one of the things that I talked a lot to Laura about, actually, um, because from what it sounds like, it sounds like she's pretty excellent at that. Um, and um, and something I thought about a lot with Brett in terms of like talking about the like bottlenecking right it's like it's it's um like we bottlenecked right before you open the the secret room right because that way nobody misses that moment and also it's like this thing where it feels like you're all in it together like everybody's working on this thing together and it requires like all hands on deck and so then when you have that moment of success it feels so sweet same with the final puzzle the final puzzle was something that required like lots of people throughout the room. I mean, I guess technically you could do it with fewer people, but like A, wouldn't have been in fast that fast. B, wouldn't have been as fun. So like, of course, you're just trying to do it, right? And so I think those are, um, I think because that was what I loved so much about escape rooms, the emotions in it, I felt like that was really the language that I wanted to speak within the room itself. You know, like, and, and I figured that's as far as you're going to get because it's like you're using all your brain power for the puzzles, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like after that, all you can layer on are emotions. And it's interesting too because when a lot of people try to discuss narrative, they don't seem to realize that players are really only there to solve puzzles. And so when you brought up earlier how you were talking about, oh, how am I going to put systemic change in here? And then you realize there's there's probably not enough time for them to really focus about that in the room, but hopefully they can come to that realization later on after the room. It's 
it's it's also impressive because you know I know a lot of people are thinking okay we want them to feel this way in the room and so we're going to give them all this choice and all this options like no we want to just solve puzzles let let us think about yeah. that later yeah though I did layer in some things if if somebody wanted to like totally geek out about it yeah. like there's some puzzles that like are you know uh, thematically it's like there was this like the like cube the the uh, Okay, this is like another spoiler. Whatever. So there's a, the rota. I can't help. We're myself. in it now. So the rotating, yeah, right. So the rotating cube with the um, with covered in gray squares, uh, it kind of looks like a giant Rubik's cube sort of thing. Um, it's covered in polarized film, so that when you look through, when you get into the secret room, there's a hatch, and you look through that, um, you can see patterns on the tiers and so you have to line up the tiers in a certain way to get the um the code or whatever and so um and so the idea is that the the patterns were there the whole time you just needed a new perspective to be able to see them or um uh or things like um uh oh like all the codes for the room all of the um numbers like so people at the end got a pamphlet that had like information about the project as well as like um, you know, furthering the conversation, here's required reading, you know? And, uh, so there were underlined numbers in the pamphlet and those are actually the codes from the room. So they all like, you know, um, they all m- meant something. I mean, now I'm like, how bad do I want to, do I actually want to give the codes? That no. seems no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, basically it's like, yeah, it was all based on like uh, literature surrounding privilege. Mm. And so like there were things there, but like, yeah, on average, I don't think, you know, I, I'm willing to bet almost no one recognized those. Um, <laughs> and by almost, I mean, no one, no one. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's understandable. Sometimes you will throw all these wonderful things that we worked months on and nobody sees them but you know they make us happy in our hearts (laughs) (laughs) yeah well the nice thing is I think like because there have been people who wanted to talk to me about this project like I I I feel like I I have the privilege of being able to explain a lot of these things um I, I feel like a lot of owners and a lot of designers don't get to do that um and also like I guess i I'm a lot more willing to spoil, too, I guess. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and so I feel like, um, and and then, of course, like, there were the conversations afterward. Like, sometimes I'd come out after the debrief, um, you know, like, if, like, if it was, like, a school group or if it's somebody that, like, I knew or something like that, I would come out and, like, you know, just sort of do a mini artist talk with people and, and get their feedback and talk to them. Like one of the people that I talked to actually um, is an 18 year old who's in the escape room Slack who like ended up uh, like DMing me saying that he's applying for college and he's using like he, there's a supplemental essay question that's like what piece of art or music or literature has like recently impacted you and why and he's writing about the privilege of escape and Aww. I was nice. so honored I was like wow and now I'm thinking wait which 18 year old and thought oh I shouldn't out them no <laughs> no <laughs> I know I almost did but then I was like ah spoiling everything well 
Everything. I know that we're just we're just hitting the tip of the iceberg of all the things we could talk about with your designs and that. Uh, but we are. I didn't even ask if you could sing. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> You're growing or not? I don't know. Uh, but we are. I was in my college acapella group. Yeah, we are coming up against time here. But thank you so much for for sharing this with us and for and congratulations on such a successful run. Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, it's yeah, I was honestly very excited to talk to you all. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, and if you come up to Toronto, oh my goodness, you, if you want to hear people talking other people's ears <laughs> off, that might be me. I could sit and talk for, I have. You have. I have. Okay. Yes. We know that. <laughs> Hell yeah, I'm so in. <laughs> and if uh, people are looking for you online, where can they find you? Um, they can find me on my website. Uh, it's just risapuno.com. That's R-I-S-A-P-U-N-O.com, as well as um, Instagram, which is just at risapuno, as well as Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff. Awesome. Cool. Cool. I figured where your parents are from, from your last name, but I didn't want to say. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, thanks again, and I will talk us out. Room Escape yeah. Divas is brought to you by Inverse Genius. You can go to inversegenius.com to find other fun podcasts just like this one. You can also find us on Facebook. Just find the Room Escape Divas Facebook page. Click the like button. You can email us at roomescapedivas at gmail.com. Okay. Okay, Errol has to go pee. Um, and and uh, if you are using Twitter, you could use the hashtag R-E-Divas. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.